0: relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat.
1: Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. My name is Pat Iyer and I am with Rick June, who is joining me from Canada. Rick June is a, an expert, a consultant, a speaker, and we'll be delving into his background as it relates to some of the factors that lead to LNC success. Rick and I have discussed his area of expertise and some of the essential pieces that help you make a successful legal nurse consulting business. Rick, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Pat.
1: Can you tell our viewer who's watching this on our YouTube channel, Legal Nurse Business, or our audio listener, something about your background and what you bring to this conversation?
2: Oh, uh, you'll have to forgive me. I. I'm not young anymore, so I have lots of stories, but I'll try and make it very quick. Um, I've got a corporate background, a lot of training in organizational development and business development. And I did that for a a while and gravitated to small business where I've uh, mentored a number of small businesses, dozens in fact, but I kind of, I was attracted to small business enough that I started my own small business. The first one was a disaster, but I kind of picked myself up after that. And since then I've had two other successful small businesses and I'm now on my third. And my mission now is to help other small business people avoid some of the uh, grief that I experienced. Um, It's actually not as hard as people make it out, but you need to know what some of the answers are too.
1: Yes, absolutely. And it sounds like you've had some significant life experiences as we all have, as our hair gets grayer. (laughs) Many of the legal nurse consultants who come to me are in the state of looking for the elements of what makes a business successful. From your experience, could you list some of those elements and then we can delve into the pieces that will help go further in our understanding.
2: Okay, um, I have um, a pre-answer to that. A few years ago in on the web, you saw a lot of articles coming out with, have you got the right stuff to be an entrepreneur? And there was checklists and stuff. And I gotta say that that's bunk. Um, Everybody has what it takes to be an entrepreneur, an expert, a consultant. It's just figuring out how to put the pieces together. And the pieces that I think are really important are an understanding of you yourself because you bring yourself to the business your business is a reflection of who you are, whether you know it or not. The next thing is to know as much as you can about your client. Now, you may say, well, gee, you know, we all deal with lawyers. Aren't lawyers all the same? Well, no, they're not. Even if they are in the same sector, for example, um, injury compensation. Um, They all have different personalities, they all interact in different ways, and you need to understand what you're dealing with. So uh, we'll talk about that a little more uh, Mm -hmm. later. And then the third one is to know not only who you serve, but what are the triggers for them in their environment? What are they reacting to? when they come to the table and start talking with you? What are the pressures they face? Because that affects their relationship with you, just as you understanding yourself or not understanding yourself plays into the real relationship you have with them. So those are the three things that I think are most important. If you can get a handle on those, it really helps you figure out how you want to deal with the hurdles that come up. You always have a choice.
1: Yes. Well, let's go back to the first one, being clear about who you are. And it's interesting that we're talking about this because I just got off um, a coaching call with one of my clients and we were discussing what are her strengths, what are the areas that are not as strong and how does that drive the services that she is providing. Mm -hmm. So help us focus in on what do we do to explore those strengths and weaknesses? If you would like to use that word, some people Mm -hmm. shy away from the word weaknesses. Uh, Some people shy away from the word failures. I've had some unexpected outcomes in my business but I wouldn't consider them failures because I learned from every one of those painful experiences. Tell us a little bit about exploring and identifying your strengths and determining who you are as a business person.
2: Okay. Um, It's a a really interesting area. Um, And I have to say, by the way, that A lot of the small business people that I run into don't understand the value of that. So I just wanna underline what you're saying that it is really important. Um, The more that you understand what your blind spots are, the more you prepare yourself. So how do you do that? Well, there's exercises that you can do, uh, for example, on values in discovering your values. Um, Do I have one? Um, I have to say that there are, uh, there's no one right answer when it comes to learning who you are yourself. There's a lot of paths uh, to go because we're all different. But one of them is, quizzing yourself, so to speak, on what you stand for, what matters to you. And there are various um, tools out there. This particular one is called Life Compass. And they've got a website um, and you can subscribe and get their service, pay a fee, Um, but there's other ways too. But you, you want to really explore what your values are and not just once, do it every couple of years because we respond to our environment and we change as we get older, especially when we're younger, we go through a lot more change. Um, So that's one way of doing it. Another way is to um, have a buddy uh, approach. Um, People, use that in terms of coaches, that is the same as a buddy. And if you can find somebody that is good at interpersonal uh, relationships, they can be quite helpful in challenging your your thinking as it comes out in your values. For example, I'm, I'm a perfectionist and you know, on good days, yes, I know it. And on bad days, I'm just in the middle of it. And I just don't know it. But it took me a while to figure out um, that, yes, I, I have that value. And um, it's very important to me. So I have to figure out how to work with that so it doesn't cripple me. Because I could end up just being stuck in my desk planning for the perfect Uh, event and never getting there (laughs) so so imperfection is successful so that's a roundabout answer to your question Mm -hmm. how you do it there's a lot of paths um, but you need to find resources to kind of challenge you and challenge your perceptions because sometimes it's hard to get through our own perceptions and see who we are
1: Yeah, we have our preconceived notions. We have our limitations. We've got imposter syndrome that can swamp us and make us question our capabilities. I know, for example, that I am bad at calculating numbers. So I structure my life so that I don't have to do math very often. And when I do, I've got a calculator nearby but I would not seek out the types of legal nurse consulting responsibilities that require doing a lot of computations. That would be a nightmare for me, but I could write a 200 page book and enjoy the process. Yep. That drives me to specific types of legal nurse consulting services and away from others. You know, That's a, a simple example from what I'm listening to you and thinking about how this applies to our listeners. And then along those lines, there are attorneys who handle all kinds of cases. Uh, There are criminal defense attorneys, medical malpractice, toxic tort, product liability, workers' compensation, uh, personal injury, plaintiff, defense, uh, a whole host of variations. We need to understand who we resonate with. I interviewed a woman um, many years ago for my business, and she walked in and she she said, I would never want to work with plaintiff attorneys. They're just ambulance chasers. And I thought, you're going to have a problem here, because that's about 60% of our client workload and our client base, and we don't call them ambulance chasers. There was one time I was in Staten Island, and we were looking for a hospital on the attorney driving me said, look, there's an ambulance, we can follow the ambulance and it will take us there. Yes, we had a chance to do ambulance chasing for just one moment. Going into this area of knowing who you resonate with, what are some of the tips that you can share with us about helping us figure out who are our ideal clients? Okay.
2: Okay. One of the exercises that I do and I've done it on myself um, and that is for me as part of my discovering myself and working on who I am, I'll sit down and put a list together of the characteristics of my favorite ideal client. If I have a clear idea or a better idea of who that client really is, that's what's going to come out of me and resonate, and not not to get you know too esoteric about it, but it, I find that it really does uh, make it easier for like-minded clients to resonate back because I'm I'm broadcasting. Hey, these are the kind of clients. This is who I am, and these are the kind of clients that I. I deal with and love to deal with. Other ways that I've dealt with it is when I don't know the client, I will actually have a readiness assessment for them to go through. That's what I call, I don't tell them that's what that is, but it's part of helping them learn what my expectations are as a service provider so that they can be clear whether or not I'm the right person for them. And I find that kind of eliminates a lot of the people that I don't want to deal with. Um, I'm at the point now, took me a long time to learn this, but I'm at the point now where I can have the customers that I want, not the customers that come in the door. When I first opened, it was, hey, I'm here. And it's what we learned back in sales way back. Um, my door's open. I'm a consultant. I'm here to take on all the customers that come in. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's just a bad move. So the other end is, okay, I'm gonna choose my customers. Just as you talk about resonating, um, I wanna be really clear about who I resonate with and respond to them, Um, and it really works.
1: Help us go a little bit deeper into that. What are the problems with not being selective and accepting work from anyone who approaches us?
2: (laughs) That's where I get into stories from the trenches. Um, You get into what I call and it's not always a fair label, but what I call high maintenance clients. Um, they may m- want to micromanage you. They may think that they know what is needed to be done. Um, they may think that it doesn't matter what you need to go through, their timetable um, carries everything. So if they need it, you know, by the end of the weekend, hey, that's the way it's gonna be. Um, That's not the way I wanna operate though. So um, there's a lot of different ways that it can come out. Um, It gives you an idea in advance whether or not people are just out chasing cost and going for the cheapest service and they don't value the service or if they do value the service, it gives you a very good idea that um, if push comes to shove and new things come up, they're gonna be willing to negotiate and renegotiate that service fee that you're uh, charging um, because they understand what the value is they're getting. So there's a lot of, those are just some immediate examples that come to mind, but um, it, it makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, it sure does. And when you say negotiating fees, in our world, that's often a negative thing. The attorney will say, oh, I don't think I should have to pay for all these hours that you put into the case because they were too many. They never say they were too few. It's always too many. Or you're charging me too much per hour. Attorneys are very good negotiators. That's what they do for a living. So they can come at us in a very forceful way. That experience is so unpleasant for legal nurse consultants because we like to please people. We take care of patients. We want people to be happy. And we've got a little hook inside of us that says, oh, Rick needs me. Oh, Rick's got a case for me. Oh, Rick wants me to do it over the weekend and I had planned to go away, but, but Rick needs me. So I'll get it done. And I may sound like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. Yep. I have <laughs> done this myself and then spent months trying to get payment for the work that I did on a rush basis. Yeah. So that's one of the hazards that we have to be aware of is that we have to stand firm. And, and I'll turn that back to you. I've given you the scenario, the needy attorney wants you, wants it done quickly, and you want to please that person, um, what's the trap there? Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. Are you the kind of person who lets their office space gather cluttered messes until you have to clean it? It's so easy for piles of papers and books to accumulate when you have a busy LNC practice. But that's all the more reason to save time by having your materials well-organized. You don't need to add searching time to your workload. Don't let those towering mounds intimidate you. Begin with an overall of everything. Try to find the source of things becoming cluttered. Is it because you have more items to file than you have space? Do you need a dedicated area for mail instead of the top of your desk? Examine your day-to-day business activities, find the bottleneck for the mess, and create a solution that will increase rather than decrease your efficiency. Implement daily cleanup to keep you from the headache of digging through piles of paper and trying to work in a stressful environment. Once you've gotten your materials organized, Consider creating a daily routine of keeping it tidy. If you find yourself thinking, I don't have the time, remember that having to search through piles of papers to find what you need costs you time. Create a clutter-free environment and hold yourself accountable for making cleaning up a daily task. This business tip comes from 21 Tips to run your LNC business efficiently, how to excel. Order it at lnc.tips forward slash creating series. Now let's return to the show.
2: Well, the trap is that uh, you end up doing it um, at their behest for the values that they put on the work, not what you put on the work. One of the ways that I get around that is to sit them down and make them un- help them understand what goes into getting that work done. Um, they like to simplify things and say, oh no, that doesn't take very much. Um, and I, I see that all the time. If I think it's simple and it's easy to do, then why am I paying you a whole bunch of money? Well, because they don't know what's involved. So if they can know some of the details and how complex some of that can be and how much, um, how shall we say, rides on, on the accuracy of what's being done, it's really important. The other thing I would say as a preventive step um, is it doesn't hurt to take a negotiating workshop as part of your business training? Um, it's not going to solve all your issues, but you're gonna you're gonna see the red flags come up a lot earlier in that negotiating process when you're aware of what some of the dynamics are. Um, yeah So
1: that's a great point, Rick. And I ghost wrote two books with a man who calls himself the master negotiator, Greg Williams. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking what he could bring to legal nurse consultants to help them with spotting these warning signs ahead of time. Uh, That's critical. At the third point that you brought up as we were going through the beginning of the podcast, besides knowing who you are, and knowing who your ideal clients are, was understanding some of their challenges and problems. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Well, what I'm getting at is really just to be uh, aware that people react to things in different ways, and they may not be the way, ways that we expect. And so it kind of may throw us a little off-kilter so sometimes we have to be forgiving. Sometimes we have to be flexible. Uh, sometimes we have to be understanding. But we also know have to know what our own boundaries are too um, and where it fits um, our personality and ability to work with it and where it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's such a, a muddy, complex area. <laughs> uh, but th- that's my top of mind um, reaction to that. I can hear myself saying, um, which tells me that, oh, I'm thinking this through as we're talking. So, you know, there's a lot in behind there, but I think people just need to be aware that they have to kind of go with the flow to some degree but be aware of what their boundaries are and what where they can serve, and that will help the, the situation.
1: <clears throat> and one of the situations that I, I advocate to business owners is that if you have to set other projects aside, if you have to turn something around quickly, that you charge a rush fee, which helps to establish your boundary helps to establish the value of your work product and makes you feel better about having to shift something that you had planned to do into another corner so that you can deal with the attorney's deadlines for your work product. I didn't do that initially when I started my company and it was not until an attorney said to me, Pat, if you have to charge me extra to get this done sooner, I'm willing to pay. It was like a read my lips moment. So I implemented a rush fee and I found that attorneys paid it and it also increased the revenues in my company. When I needed to turn around something or one of the expert witnesses who worked for me needed to turn something around quickly, we charged more. And it wasn't a great deal, but it was enough to make us all feel pleased with that decision.
2: Yeah, that's, sorry, I don't mean to jump in, but, you know, that is such a common um, experience for small business people, especially as they're starting up. And I've suffered exactly the same thing um, Mm -hmm. because all those things about knowing yourself and what you're good at and stuff, and if you let imposter syndrome and self-doubt uh, come in and, oh, I'm not really an expert at this. I know so many more people that can do this. Then you're more likely to say, oh, okay, I'll, I'll charge a lower fee or I won't add more. But you'd be amazed. Well, you you know this. Um, it's amazing how willing, valued clients are to pay the extra if they can see that they're getting the value from it. They're not afraid to stand up and pay the fee. So on our side, we need to be prepared and prepare ourselves to ask what we deserve. Um, Nobody else is gonna ask, except maybe your client, when they said, look, you need to charge. But you're seldom going to run across clients that are going to step up and, and help you like
1: that. Right. Exactly. That's why it was such a pivotal moment in my business when I heard that message.
2: Yeah.
1: We've been talking, Rick, about the, the elements that help to build success of identifying who you are, your ideal clients, and being tuned into your ideal clients' problems and challenges. Together, it sounds like this forms a foundation. At what point in our business should we be focusing on these three elements?
2: Um, The short answer is always.
1: (laughs) I Um, had a feeling you would say that.
2: Yes. Um, People think of doing this kind of self-development and self-awareness and becoming very attuned to their clients when they're setting up their business. So they know they've got the right target group and they know they, everything's in place, but it doesn't stop there. Um, your customers and clients change. The environment out there in which the lawyers are working changes. Um, they don't have a lot of flexibility in some respects because of the regulations that are out there. And when new regulations come along Um, they have to change and they don't have any choice. So things change and you need to keep up on that. Um, It also feeds into things like marketing. Um, That may seem like a stretch, but think about all the networking that you might have to do, all the social media stuff that you might have to do to get your consulting business up and getting traction. Well, the more you know about your target group, um, the more you know about yourself, the less you have to spend on marketing and the time spent on marketing because you're gonna get those clients uh, faster and they're gonna be a good fit. So you don't have to be as uh, out there chasing uh, prospects as much. I remember how much I, I, I back then it wasn't wasting time, but I spent a tremendous amount of time networking and marketing. Um, I better I would have been better off had I paid attention to these foundational things first. And since then, I've learned um, enough that yeah, it helps me. Um, it'll it'll help you all through your business. It's hard to itemize all the different areas. Um, But uh, I would just keep doing it. Keep aware of yourself, especially, and keep developing yourself because your business is you.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, that's great advice, Rick. One of the joys of being in business for a while is that you've got satisfied clients who are referring other clients to you. And that can cut down on some of the marketing time. However, um, I always like to stress that you should never put your eggs in one basket and have a diverse set of clients so that if somebody changes their law practice, the laws change. Uh, Sometimes clients have, uh, attorney clients have disruptions in their law firm where over the weekend, this is, I've seen at least three or four times. Over the weekend, some of the partners decide to split and pull the company apart. And then the other partner walks in Monday morning and the offices are empty and where is everybody? That's a bit disconcerting, to Mm -hmm. say the least. If you've got um, a reliance on one or two law firms and then something disrupts their practice like that, then it can be a real challenge to pick yourself up off the ground and rebuild so i encourage people to always keep on marketing but recognize that the the joys of repeat business and referrals make all of that earlier effort worthwhile
2: i totally agree and i am sorry if i um implied that you could just part marketing aside that just doesn't happen you're always going to be marketing too and I really like your point about not putting your eggs all in one basket, because I've seen that over and over and over again, where you have a, a business where 80% of the revenue is one client, huge danger uh, for them. And I work in Alberta, where there's a lot of oil um, spinoff business, and that's a boom and bust. Mm-hmm. And if you've only got one client, um, Every year we see them a uh, turnover in, in companies that are out there. And every year, those businesses that put all their eggs in one basket, they disappear.
1: Yes, yes. Um, well, Rick, it may uh, be
2: hard to do that, but plan to diversify your clients.
1: Yes. I know that our listeners are going to want to know more about how they can connect with you. What would be the best way for that to happen? Um,
2: well, I have, a, I have uh, a lot of things just coming on now. As I said, I'm, I'm uh, in the middle of developing my uh, next successful uh, adventure. And what I'd like to do is refer them to a website and it's really easy to remember. It's getmoreidealclients.com. So, and I can even put it up on on PowerPoint if you want, but it's just like it sounds. Yes. All streamed together. And I'd like to invite people to uh, take a peek. I have some additional, material that would add to the comments that both Pat and I have offered uh, today. Um, And they can kind of go from there.
1: All right, getmoreidealclients.com. That is a wonderful URL, Rick. Congratulations for getting that one.
2: (laughs) Okay, Um, actually it was going to be small business you, as in you and me. Yeah. that's confusing. Do you mm-hmm. mean you mm-hmm. or do you mean you and me? Correct, correct. So clients.com.
1: Fabulous, Rick. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. I think we've brought out in this talk the, the three elements that I've stated and Rick has shared with us of the foundation for a successful business that you never stop marketing, you never stop examining your business and look for ways that you can improve it, change it, make sure that it's still resonating with what you are best suited to do in terms of serving your client population. Yep. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down, leave a comment below, and we would love to have you back on Legal Nurse Podcast next week as a new guest, new topic joins our show. I'm Pat Eyer, and I have been speaking with Rick June. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hi, my name is Pat Eyer, and I am with Christine Dorman who is a critical care nurse practitioner. She has her doctorate. She's got lots of experience in healthcare and is a legal nurse consultant, which includes being an expert witness on critical care cases. Christine and I just finished a podcast on medication principles and safety in the critical care environment. Christine, tell our viewer or our listener, what are some of the key things that we covered in your podcast?
3: Yes, Pat. Some of the key things we covered in the podcast was providing a brief overview on patient safety and quality improvement relating to medication errors. We also talked about uh, brief principles of medication safety. We also discuss uh, some of the contributing factors that uh, lead to medication errors in the critical care setting, as well as how we detect and track any medication errors and how we reduce or prevent any medication errors. We also spoke briefly about uh, a blame versus a just culture and also what a legal nurse consultant um, can do to help uh, an attorney um, navigate um, medical record and what we can look for with regards to um, how medication errors occur within the critical care setting.
1: That was a lot and we included a little bit of a diatribe when I went off on a rant and you'll have to figure out what I was ranting about by watching Christine and me in this issue, this episode of Legal Nurse Podcast. Be sure to click on and watch Christine's full interview to get the information that she shared. See you there.
0: Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.